Welcome to the Hey Salespeople podcast, where we focus on delivering immediately actionable best practices for sales professionals. I'm your host, Jeremy Donovan from SalesLoft. Hey, salespeople. Today, we are joined by Tamara Scarlett-Miller. Welcome, Tamara. Hi. How are you, Jeremy? I'm doing great. And I say we because I've got my uh, trusty co-host, Jenna Sachs, on. Hey, Jenna. Hey, salespeople. Hey, Tamara. Hey, Jeremy. Well, I just learned that Tamara and Jenna have a history that goes back to high school. So I'm I'm excited to learn and have fun and, and listen a lot, I think, on this podcast. Uh, but just to introduce Tamara to you, she is an enterprise sales executive for Google Cloud. Uh, most people obviously think of Google for the search engine and the maps and all the other cool consumer stuff that Google does. But of course, they also have a uh, very impressive enterprise business that helps run apps and websites and helps with data analysis using AI and all kinds of other enterprise I'll call it, things. So we'll, we'll talk um, uh, you know, a bit about that, but really love to get into what Tamara has picked up throughout the course of her career since she's worked for marquee brands like AOL, Oracle, Salesforce, and again, now Google. Uh, before we get into that, We'd love to get to know you a little bit. So, Tamara, just love to hear some of the some of the sales books you enjoy reading. So that's a great question. I'm a huge reader, and I guess my top sales book is How to Win Friends and Influence People by Dale Carnegie. A close follow would probably be Never Eat Alone. I love that book, and then I also really love Who Moved My Cheese because I think that talks a lot about the sales career and about how things are always changing and how to make sure that you're adapting to changes. Is there a common thread across all three or a key takeaway from from one or two of those that really resonated with you? Uh, a couple of things. I think it's really about the power of relationships. I think it's really important to understand who a person is and their motivators and why they do things. I also think it's about the power of actually understanding a micro moment and turning someone into a friend in a way that you might not need to work with them today or tomorrow, but it might be something in the future. The best piece of advice I've ever been given in my career, I obviously worked at AOL and Tim Armstrong was our CEO. He gave a presentation where he clearly articulated to him what a dream team is. And he's like, listen, I can't be the best salesperson, the best accounting person, the best engineer, but I need to know those people and have them in my toolbox. And I think that's really important because that's what a role like mine does, right? It's understanding what you're good at and being able to leverage that in the right way. And then also being able to partner with other people on your team so that you can give your customer the best experience. I think I've you know heard that in a few different roles too, where no deals ever won or lost alone. I think it's one of those sales cliches that we hear all the time, but it is very true. I guess from a RevOps perspective, a lot of what, what I do on my side of the world is try to figure out how we put process in place on when to pull people in at the right time. I, I'm just curious from your experience, you know, when do you have that intuition to pull people in versus when is it part of that defined process that potentially ops or enablement is giving to you? It's never the same because every deal is not the same. There are times where I will work closely with my CE, who is like my technical first line of attack. And I'll say, hey, this is the problem that I'm hearing. What's your first inclination? Like, what do you think? As a salesperson, your most important relationship is your CE. They have more information about a broad subject line um, from a technical point of view. 
that person typically is not as aligned to business, right? Like that person's more of a technical function. And then I'll ask the question, how does this impact for the customer's revenue, right? Like at the end of the day, especially in a sales role, we're trying to figure out how to help our customers make more money. And then what we'll do from there is we'll determine what the right resources are. So whether that's, you know, security or if that's like an infrastructure or hardware resource that we'll bring in, that'll be something that we'll collaborate on. People are always telling salespeople add to add value. Obviously, one way to add value is to be able to bring in technical resources. What are some ways other than bringing in someone else that you seek to add value to customers? So I think the most important person, a sales, the most important role a salesperson can bring to the customer is understanding the landscape. As someone who's first in line, right, you have a lot of different customers that you're hearing about every day, like what other customers are doing to transform and inspire, what revenue opportunities are working or not working. And then you can think about how you can apply this to that customer's business, right? So I think that's a really important part of saying, okay, this is what the landscape is doing. And this is what I think your niche could be in the business and what we think that you can innovate around. And this is why I think it's important. And I also think that a salesperson's second most important job is leveling it up. It's like, okay, we have someone who's coming in and it's able to show you really technical points about the value about working with our solution. But what's next, right? Like, why would you partner with us for this solution over another brand? What are you getting that's going to be incremental value rather than just a product? Because what you really should be buying in is, a, is an experience. And we sell transformational deals. So it's not just like one product. We're thinking about how you can transform your brand with us. I mean, h- how do you level up the conversation from we're, we're a cloud provider to, you know, we, we're actually here to help you to do something new in your business? Do you have, you know, I mean, maybe without citing a customer name, do you have an example of where you went through that with them? This year, because of the pandemic, I was living in New York City. I decided that I wanted to do a cross-country road trip. I didn't know how long the road trip was going to last, so I was afraid to purchase a car. So we decided to rent from Avis. And when I went to Avis, I ended up doing a long-term extended rental where I, I had to keep renewing every 30 days. I had to call a rep from where I originally rented the car in New Jersey. Like I couldn't go into a local chain and renew the contract. My mom was getting consistent letters from Ava saying that I stole their car because it was over the 30-day extension. And I told this to my customer because at all points of the journey, it was broken. Avis had no idea I was Tamara Scarlett. They had no idea that they needed to extend this contract, which means their reoccurring revenue model was broken because they were not able to renew, which we know is the beginning of every journey. Like I should have been the all-star customer for them, right? They had no customer loyalty engagement with me. These are the conversations I'll have with the brand. And I'm like, can you tell me a story about you going into a normal place and the frustration? Did they lose your business? And if that CEO or that transformation officer says yes, they they normally are like, oh my God, I had that experience and it was awful. And I'm like, don't you want your brand to be better? Those are the conversations we typically will have with those, those, those people in those roles. And that will really transform the conversation because then we can get deep into the things that they think are annoying in their own business, right? So I'm like, let's reflect on the funnel in your own business and what parts are broken. Like, where do we transform those parts? Then we really talk about like the exciting stuff and things get really down, like down and dirty. That's what I like to call it, you know? 
where possible, experiencing the brand you're selling to and being able to give them real feedback on your own experiences is, is just so incredibly valuable. Everyone says they're customer first, but how many people really listen to and, and observe and inspect and add value to their customers? Jeremy, I think that's like so important. Actually, it's funny because when I worked with Jenna, uh, she worked at Wedding Wire and I was getting married at the time. My my wedding website was on a Wedding Wire, conversa- a wedding wire product. I did my registry through them. The idea was if I can understand what your brand is and I know more about your brand, then I'm going to be able to be a better advisor and a better consultant too, right? There's nothing worse than when someone comes into a meeting that's and you're not prepared. And to me, if you don't know about your customer as the as a consumer, then you're not prepared for that meeting because you don't know what it's like to interact with that brand. I just think this is a sentiment to relationship building, right? And like that book, Never Eat Alone. Jenna was a friend that I made in high school. Actually, I think it was even junior high school, to be honest with you. I'm not even fully sure. But the idea was that you never know where someone's going to be or how you're going to interact with that person in the future. So how do you always present yourself in the best light and also treat relationships as they should be, right? Like you should cultivate relationships. You should care about who a person is, like be a good person. And at the end of the day, that's always going to pay off. And I think that's a really important lesson here is like, just be nice. (laughs) And like, I think that's a huge part of the journey as well. I must have this book completely in in my mind, you know, because I guess because I I rereading it back to back, which I again I, I almost never do. But one of the things they talked, uh, John Chambers talked about was, as the CEO, you have the luxury of somebody else to help him with this. But he would go into every meeting with a dossier, basically, with as much information about the people that that he was going to meet with as possible. And I'm sure it was both like business and personal related things. How far do you go in your sales meetings to like to, to pre-research the people or who are going to be in the room? And, and is there a point that's too far and too creepy? I think I probably uh, crossed the line of too far and too creepy. I think it's about having enough information to be able to be dirty, but you don't have to use that information, right? Like, And when I say be dirty, I mean like know enough information to walk into a room and feel strong in that conversation because you are prepared, right? Like, you know what this person's interests are, you know what they do on the weekends, like you've done your due diligence. You have to have like some EQ, right? Like, you know whether to use information or not, right? Like read the room, understand the dynamics of the conversation. Timing is really essential in every conversation you have. And then use your gut. Like that is like something that we put in the back burner, but like your gut is never going to steer you wrong. And that's what I've found. I, I, I do maniacally research the people I meet with. And I had only one instance, but I wonder if there's more where someone told me like I oversold them. I feel like why they felt that was because like I knew charities they donated to. I knew, I probably knew the names of like, you know, their kids' soccer teams or whatever, right? Like anything I could find, but um, I probably went a little too far. But I, I guess in this particular individual, I mean, funny enough, they were more my personality type, right? They were a hyper analytical. And those hyper-analytical people probably are, like, are a little more guarded personally, is my, is my guess. But uh, is that something you find? Like, who are the people who tend to not react well to, to you knowing too much about their background? So I work with hyper-analytical people. I'm also married to a very analytical person, um, which is really an interesting, an interesting dichotomy. What I would say is that as you develop trust and rapport, Anyone who's analytical is still a person, 
And I work with a lot of engineers. I work with a lot of technical resources. I think the first step is to show up and know a lot about the product and know a lot about how to add value. And then once you create a rapport with them and a relationship with them, then you can insert more of those nuggets of personality, right? But someone who's highly analytical is is always thinking about the outcome, right? So like, what is your role that's going to help make their lives easier to get to the outcome that they need? And I think that's what you have to think about when you're dealing with someone who's hyper analytical. That being said, if you're dealing with executives, what I have noticed are that those people are more big picture rather than hyper analytical. So you're able to get a little bit more fluffy with an executive because even though they have an output in place, they are really looking for a human element. And the reason why that's important for an executive is because they can create connectivity inside of the org. So anyone who is leading needs to be an empathetic person and want to create rapport. I think there's also a difference in being creepy, maybe internet stalking a little bit and finding out all this information versus building that rapport initially and then remembering pieces of that that then you can come back and relate to. I know that um, at a previous company I worked at, we had we were very heavily focused on RBEs, relationship building exercises. And that could be anything from you know hearing that someone was having a baby and maybe sending them a onesie or like a congratulations or you know hearing that their favorite team was the Yankees and maybe taking them to a game. Not not necessarily all monetary things, but just things that you pick up on the conversation, you remember them, and then you're regurgitating it back in some kind of meaningful way. I think that helps. And then maybe the internet stalking kind of comes later where it's it's a little bit more receptive or they're a little bit more receptive to it. No, I agree with that 100% in totality. Like Again, I also... My specialization in selling has always been data. So everyone I work with is propelled to want to have insights, stats, and numbers to back up anything they do. And I'm pretty, I would say that I, on the spectrum, I'm a more analytical salesperson than not, right? So when we get down into the granular of it, like I want to talk to them about the value of what data is going to provide for their business. Then I'm also human because there's two sides of my personality. You know, you had mentioned that when you go into these hyper analytical buyers, you said you, you, I, you really need to know the product well. And so often you hear the, the pundits out there saying, sell the benefits, not the features. In your real life experience, how do you react to, to that advice? So I think it's important to understand the benefit of a product, but the product still needs to be able to complete the task. Right. And the product needs to be able to integrate seamlessly and not create more headache to an organization or you have not driven value. Right. Like from an operational perspective, when you're thinking about bringing in a new product, you're thinking, who's going to use this product? What's the value it's going to drive? And honestly, how expensive is this product? Like, is it worth it for me to take people off of a new system to train them onto this system? So I think that is something that you need to keep in mind. But at the end of the day, it depends on who you're selling it to, right? So like someone who is more senior, you're like, hey, this is the benefit it's going to provide. But for someone who's more technical, you're like, this is actually the product, this is the features, and this is this is what's going to add value to you. So uh, another thing that came to my mind is, as you were talking about bringing in various resources throughout the sales process, is uh, you, you've now had a number of years under your belt as an enterprise sales executive. What do you think is the major difference between enterprise sales and sort of general commercial or or SMB sales? What, what are the skills that you need to learn? What are the skills that you learned in order to, to make that progression? That's a great question. And I get that question a ton, actually. And my position on this changes a lot. 
So someone who works in a small business role has to be really great at time management and managing a ton of accounts, right? And like understanding how to be nimble within those accounts, understanding all the priorities of these accounts, and then also being really able to determine what's actually going to bring revenue in the door, right? Like you have to figure out what your North Star is. When you work in an enterprise role, your North Star is defined. You're like, this is your customer. You have no other option. You need to figure out how to make this customer generate revenue. And what I like about being in enterprise sales is two things. One is that I can get really deep in understanding the nuances of your business. And I can get really deep understanding who the players are and what their advantage is. So I would say for an enterprise role, you should be someone who's more analytical because you should understand the landscape. You should be reading 10Ks. You should be understanding what the CEO is positioning for the future and thinking about how that aligns to your brand. You should be thinking about engaging executives together so that they can create really great rapport, you know, and you should be thinking about eventing and gifting and thinking about really becoming a marketer inside of a salesperson. I think that's a big difference between a small business rep and an enterprise rep. Like, I think that I'm like, you do a little bit of product marketing, you do a little bit of business development, you're thinking about idea creation, and you're thinking about how to be a good technical resource. I love that you took us down the, what I'll describe as the account-based marketing route of this. Again, I hear so many folks talk about account-based marketing, and, and I love to hear real examples of, you know, quote-unquote, true ABM programs. What are some of the programs that you have been a part of, you know, at any of the, you know, these, these mega companies you worked for, where they legitimately did something that was truly account-based? I'll use Salesforce as an example because I think Salesforce is really good at doing the total funnel. So the way it works in Salesforce is that I guess we'll use Dreamforce as an example, which is their tentpole event. Dreamforce is their tentpole event where people congregate in San Francisco and they take over San Francisco, quite literally. There's no other way to describe it. It is try to get an Uber, it's impossible. And typically all of your customers want to go to Dreamforce. But Dreamforce is such a large event that a lot of your customers don't know what part of Dreamforce is important for them or what events or shouldn't be missed. And what Salesforce did a great job of was sending out beautiful, I don't want to call it a letter, but really like white papers that people could click in and download. And based upon those downloads, they would be able to put you on a track. If you downloaded an, a white paper around CDPs, they're going to put you down the marketing track. If you did it around, you know, a costing tool or learning about how to optimize your cost tool, you're going to be put down a CPQ track or commerce, whatever it is. And then once you're down that track, you are greeted with like a Salesforce buddy <laughs> that's miraculously at this event. That buddy is typically your sales rep that said, I saw that you downloaded this white paper, then you registered for this event, and I'm miraculously here to guide you on your journey. Once your buddy has been connected, then Salesforce does a really good job of closing the funnel by saying, thank you for attending the event. We saw that you met Tamara Scarlett. And Tamara is here to answer your questions around A, B, and C. And I think that's a really good way of account-based marketing because it's really, you know, you're bringing an event, you're using white papers, but you're also understanding the power of physical connection where you're really bringing in like this omni-channel approach to your customer. It sounds like also they did a really good job of having all the data 
so that even past Dreamforce, you're able to market, send targeted, um, whether that's paid advertisement, whether that's emails, you could send all of those things specifically to that account based on now their interactions at Dreamforce in addition to what they did prior to Dreamforce. So it's just additive. Exactly. Like it's all this idea of creating a CRM or a single source of truth of every action that you do, right? So the idea is how much information can we put in the system so that we can action that that data, which is kind of creepy, but it's all opt-in information because you're physically opting in, right? So it's not like, you know, advertising where you're you're scrolling on a website and you go on Express and Express keeps sending you these like the same information, but this is opt-in information. So I think that's really an interesting, an interesting play. I think the benefit is also that you're getting stuff that's catered to you instead of that blanket email that everyone else gets. And you're more likely to get value out of it. It's not just another marketing email. It's just not another thing that you're going to mark as spam or unsubscribe. Right. A good marketing email should be able to educate you and have a great action point, right? So you know what the next best action is. And I think that's really important is thinking about how do you make something succinct, information succinct, and then make sure that it's actionable. Yeah. And I think legitimate value in that action, right? It's not just, you know, read about how great my company is. It's it's here is something that you can use, whether or not you work with us. But And if they're already a customer, right? Like here's a way to get more value out of your existing relationship with us without necessarily spending more money. The, the last thing and I, I wanted to just hit on before we uh, run out of time here is another thing that strikes me about that's different about enterprise selling is the degree to which project management becomes an incredibly important. If, if listeners could see you, we can see you, but they can't see you. You're shaking your head and smiling. So I, I presume you agree. I'm, I'm curious how you learn that because it can be very intimidating when you hear project management, you think you need to go pick up a PMP certification or something like that. How did you learn to, to sort of manage deals as projects? Trial by fire. <laughs> and I say that jokingly, but I do mean that like 100%. Because as you continue going through a more complex sales cycle, there are more players. At Google, I think like my team is like 16 different people, right? And those are tap-in team members where I have to use them or work with them in specific capacities. So like, how do you keep them all together on your mission and your statement and what you're doing? And what I've noticed are a couple of things. One, everyone who's in a sales role is compensated by commission. So if you can show the horizon of value, right? Like you're like, this is a X million dollar opportunity. This is the reason why it should garner your attention. This is what your role is inside of this opportunity, right? These are my expectations I'm setting for you. These are the deliverables and the timeline. This is who the customer is. This is what the customer's problem is. This is their dynamic. This is what not to say in front of the customer. This is what to say in front of the customer. And then setting expectations of the reality of something to actually be able to close within the timelines they need it. Because as we know, sales is a business that is a small business. So if you're not able to articulate the value and the close time, then you're not going to get prioritization. And I think that's a real, the way I like garner all those conversations around project management. So within my team, I run my team meeting every week. We talk about the outstanding priorities. We talk about what projects need to be prioritized. We get feedback from everyone saying this is more important than that. And then it kind of just becomes this like symbiotic relationship where everyone feels like they're together on it. But it's something that we're still working towards. And I shift that strategy every day, but or every week rather, but it's all about making sure all the team players are together and aligned weekly and they know what, what the value is they're going to get from it. I would say in addition to Google Docs and Google Sheets and things like that, are there other tools that you use in order to communicate all that information and to track timelines and so on? 
Google, like it's Google ecosystem. So we do everything at Google is inside of Google Docs and we at mention people and use that. But at every other company, it's different. Like at Salesforce, we use Quip. At Oracle, we use this like archaic system, which was actually not great. <laughs> um, but every company has it. I think it's more about creating a collaborative doc that works within your ecosystem of that organization. The doc is not as important. It's really more about the gathering of people and using the time effectively. Well, I think that's a that's a perfect way to to end, and then certainly been a theme of our of our conversation. So, Tamara, people do want to get in touch with you and learn more about enterprise selling, or maybe get on onto your team there at Google Cloud. What's the best way for them to get in touch with you? I say add me on LinkedIn. I'm always looking to network with new people and learn from you. And hopefully, if there's a way that I can get you into Google, that'd be great. Or if it's just about having a cup of coffee or tea, I would love to learn about you on that cross-country road trip in your Avis rent-a-car that they're probably chasing after you to, to get back from them, despite the fact that you're like their best customer of the year. <laughs> you should be getting the customer of the year award. I could spot a car the amount of money I've paid Avis. <laughs> yeah, true, true. Well, again, thank you so much for being on. And, and Jenna, thanks for being a co-host today. Thanks, guys. Great talking to you again, Tamara. Hey, Salespeople is a production made in partnership with Frequency Media. I'm your host, Jeremy Donovan. This podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever podcasts are found. Thanks for listening to the Hey Salespeople podcast.